So what do you think heaven's like? It's an important question, isn't it? Every funeral reminds us of our common fate. And so if there is an afterlife, then we'd kind of better do our homework instead of going blind. Now, a number of folk might not believe in the afterlife. A number of folk here might think uh, when we die, we die. You know, the lights go out, we're into the ground. There's a nice wake with a few drinks, there's a few tears, and everyone moves on, and that's it. So if that's you, I ask that you humour me for a little bit while we explore what the Bible says about the afterlife. So I want to start with clearing a few misconceptions. In this cartoon image, you'll see a couple playing golf in heaven. The green and and surrounds are clouds and they're dressed in white. They have a pair of wings and a halo each. Now, from the Bible's point of view, the cartoonist has only one thing right, and it's not the golf. It's the dressed in white. It's funny how these ideas creep up, though, don't they? And so, you know, from a biblical point of view, there won't be wings and halos given to those that enter heaven. We won't be floating in clouds. For those musicians, no instruments are mentioned. There'll be music, so we don't know if there'll be harps or electric guitars. There will be music. Other misconceptions include folk who believe that people are turned into angels when they die. Uh, Well, that's not what the Bible says. Other folk think that we'll be spirits and not have a physical body. But of course the Bible tells us that we will have a physical body. Other people think that everyone gets to heaven except for Hitler and axe murderers. Again, that's not true. The Bible has very clear criteria of who goes to heaven and who doesn't. And the great thing about this passage that the family have chosen in Revelation 21, it gives us an opportunity to spend a few minutes exploring what heaven's like. And so we'll open up the text and spend some time looking at Scripture. Verses 1 and 2 say this, Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Here we see the heavenly meet the earthly. The afterlife will be made up of the best of heaven and the best of earth. The old heaven and this earth will pass away and be replaced with a combination more real, more vibrant, more lively than we can imagine. So there'll be no floating in clouds as disembodied spirits. There will be real grass under real toes and real air breathed with real lungs, but in a more enhanced and wonderful way than we can possibly imagine. Verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. And this verse unlocks the motivation of God when it comes to heaven. I mean, why does God bother with heaven? What's his plan? What's his motivation? Well, way back at the creation of the earth, God made humans in his image. Why? So that he might 
dwell with people, that he might interact and relate to people in a much different and fuller way than anything else in all creation. And so if we go back to Genesis 1 and 2, we have the picture of God dwelling in the Garden of Eden. He was walking in the cool of the evening, enjoying fellowship, friendship with Adam and Eve. And so we have this image of dwelling, of God engaging, enjoying, creator with his creations as a father with children. But with Adam and Eve's rebellion, this dwelling with was disrupted. In God's mercy, he did not destroy Adam and Eve, but he did banish them from the garden. And they were never to enter into the dwelling with or presence of God again. That was over. Later, with the introduction of the temple, we see a partial recovery of the dwelling place. But then after many centuries, a major breakthrough. Christ's work on the cross enabled God to dwell within all believers who look to Jesus. His spirit comes in to those that look to Christ. It's amazing. It's true. So Christians become a vessel, container, having a personal relationship with God through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But even this very real and tangible blessing is only a deposit. It's only a taster of greater things to come. And these greater things are what we read about here in Revelation 21. The complete, free, unfiltered dwelling of God with those who love him. And it's a return to walking in the garden hand in hand with the living God, but so much better than Eden ever was. For in this new dwelling, this new heaven and earth, we will see God face to face and be welcomed and loved and blessed, as verse 4 describes. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And this is our sure and steadfast hope for Bert. This is the victory Christ earned on the cross, and that now every tear of Bert's is being wiped away, and pain for Bert is no more. And how do we know? I mean, how do we know who gets into heaven and who doesn't? I mean, what's the criteria? Well, the criteria is in verse 7. Now, we haven't had this read out, but the verse 7 makes it clear that all those who believe in Jesus and allow Jesus to transform their life will have heaven opened up for them. However, heaven is barred to those who don't believe in Jesus or refuse to allow him to transform their lives. And whether some believe in Christ as a child and have many years of following Jesus or whether some believe with their last breath, all who look to Christ are welcomed by their Heavenly Father. So in the Bible, we see the likes of Timothy. Timothy was taught the Scriptures as a lad by his mother and grandmother. And then the other end of the spectrum, we see the thief on the cross who only believed in Jesus moments before he died. It does not matter. All who believe in Christ are welcomed. They are welcomed with open arms into the kingdom of glory. And it's not how big our faith is. It's where we place it that counts. And this is why verse 6 says this. This is Jesus speaking. It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost 
from the spring of living water. Jesus, the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. Jesus saying, I am the A to the Z. I am the beginning and the end. Without cost, I can give you the water of life, everlasting and eternal water. You see, we each have a choice. We can reject Christ's offer of living water, not believe him, and ultimately face death alone. And the Bible is clear. The afterlife is grim to those who do not look to Christ. That's one choice. The other choice is we can humbly accept Christ's offer of living water and believe in him. Yes, knowing we fall short in our own strength, we come to Christ believing that his death opens up the way to eternal life. And to all who believe, God dwells inside them in a special way by his spirit in this life, but in all fullness in the next. Indeed, all who look to Jesus can say with confidence these words from Psalm 23. For even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. This is the promise, the sure and steadfast hope to all those that look to Jesus. Let's pray.